Big ones, small ones and everything in between. All this and more coming up on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Full-sized minis. Code with the Pope. And torching the legacy. All this and more coming up on this week's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello everyone, welcome to a, uh, another week of This Week in Retro. Sorry we missed you last week, uh, needs must, but we're back again. Um, and sorry if I'm, uh, and Dave as well, is slightly under the weather this week, but we're going to get through this show because we've got a fantastic guest in Ian Lee, TV presenter, radio host, stand-up comic writer, and more recently a counsellor and podcast podcast host of multiple shows, including his new retro gaming show, Ian Lee's Random Access Memories, available on all good good podcast apps, Ian, is that right? And YouTube. Uh, uh, did you know you used to have to say, well, you can get it on iTunes. And yeah. You can get it. Everything is available everywhere. I was interviewing a comedian for a radio show, and they were very young, and I'm very old. And I said, so where, where can people find out more about you? And he went, just Google me. <laughs> and that's <laughs> it now. Gone way. are the days of people having their own uh, websites. So yeah, just Google me. Just, so just yes, Google. you can just Google Random Access Memories. Fantastic. And you'll either get Daft Punk's album or Ian Lee's podcast if you search <laughs> for that. Um, <laughs> what was it that made you want to start the podcast up, Ian? I mean, you could have just asked us to co-host and, and saved yourself the hassle. <laughs> I didn't think you guys had any time left as you're doing so much. I tell you what it was. Okay, so I have been flirting with the fringes of, of of retro gaming for a long time. I write a column for Retro Gamer and have done for years. Um, and then in February, I was in Liverpool and I went to a junk shop. And in the corner of the junk shop, I saw a Dragon 32. Terrible computer, but it was the first computer I ever owned when I was about eight years old. Well, what, what, Dave, you're, what, what, you, you is think it, is it's it not terrible? terrible? No, I don't think it's terrible. Okay. It's like a huge, there's a big following for the, the equivalent computer in America for it. And it's got yeah. a lot of, a lot of people love it. Uh, yeah. I mean, people can love rubbish things. I'm, you know, I'm, I mean, um, uh, I, I was trying to, anyway, I was going to, I was going to be rude about a K-pop band, but you don't want those fans <laughs> zooming in to attack you. Why don't so you attack I, Taylor I Swift? That's safe. <laughs> I didn't, I like Taylor Swift. I didn't buy it, but it planted the seed and I kept looking on eBay and I, I, inevitably I bought one. I got my modded BBC out of the garage mm. and I started looking at videos on YouTube, including some of yours, Neil, of people of a certain age, gentlemen of a certain age, opening up computers, cleaning them, soldering them, putting bits in. And I had no idea what was going on, but I found it really, it was like ASMR. I found it really calming and therapeutic and wonderful. Yeah. And I've just kept diving in deeper and deeper discovered um your podcast been looking at more of your videos found loads of other really really good youtubers and podcasts out there about all different aspects of retro gaming um and in, including the the coco show you talk about the trs80 the coco mm. show with yeah. um uh um aaron and, and boat and now it's brent um and I was really, you know, my 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 past is broadcasting, is radio, and I'm stepping away from that. I do a little Patreon, but as I say, I'm now working full-time as a counsellor. I did not want to do another podcast because I'm done doing podcasts. And then suddenly I find I'm doing a, a retro gaming podcast, <laughs> and I really didn't want to do it. But I'm having a blast doing it. I do it once every two or three weeks. It's really gentle. As soon as it stops being fun, I'm going to stop doing it. But 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 this show was a big in, uh, um, it was a big influence. The Coco Show, uh, Dreamcast Junkyard, all of these were a big influence uh, in me doing it. And I'm I'm having an absolute blast. That's Dave, you have to come on. I yeah, I, I had the pleasure of being on last week. Um, so it's very kind of you to invite me in. Uh, the format is you chat, you ask people to pick a game to chat about. But to be honest, it's not really about the game, is it, Ian? No, no the, the, the game is kind of the... the we did... I've, I've done... I think you're number five. And, um, we, yeah, we very rarely talk about the game. It's still finding its ground. The, the third episode was is um, uh, a young uh, person called Elliot Cole. He does a YouTube Elliot, channel yeah. called The Retro Future. Mm -hmm. So good. And I was thrilled because he asked to come on. And I said to my kids, have you heard of this Elliot Retro Future guy? They were... 
He's asked to come on your podcast. He's done videos with Mr. Beast. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> and we didn't really talk about the game. About The, the shows are really short. They're, they're about 35, no more than 37 minutes long. Nice pocket-sized things. All of my stuff historically has been rambling on for hours, as I'm doing now. Um, but we didn't really mention the game. And about half, half an hour in, I said, Elliot, we should probably just acknowledge that there is a game. And then we'll go back <laughs> to talking. But it's, it's, it's kind of still finding its feet. And it's, I'm loving it because it's different every week. Sometimes we'll talk more about the game. Sometimes, we'll, you know, with Elliot, we were talking about what it's like to be a YouTuber and, and that to be your your job. And I found that fascinating. So it, it comes and goes as, as to, to what we talk about. And also, and I think we, we may be talking about this later, I never define what retro is. When I invite a guest on, um, I never say, so uh, retro, and so that starts in 2001, but anything before that counts. I leave the definition of retro up to the guest and... Um, yeah, I think that's a nice way of doing it. Because I I know what retro is to me. I have yeah. it in my head. I actually have I was thinking about this a lot before coming on today. I actually have quite a clear line. Um, but it's different for other people. You know, Elliot is significantly younger than me. And um he, he, he was talking about um bop it. You know bop it. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. He was talking about bop it as though it was a hoop and stick. And I'm thinking, <laughs> no, no, that's a Dave, I don't. You, you look like you don't know what is that. The is. thing you hold and you twist and you twist yeah, this and yeah, hit that. Yeah, yeah. twist yeah. it, turn yes. it, hit it. That's the one. Yeah. Yes, he was talking about it like it was a hoop and stick. And <laughs> I'm thinking that's kind of recent. So, um, so that's a lovely aspect. And and you know, it, I really enjoy. I'm a big fan of yours, Neil. So it was lovely to chat about your inspiration for for starting this and and the game that meant so much you know we've covered a couple of obscure games like minder on the spectrum yes, yeah. and tonight i'm recording an episode with shelly blonde who i think has never played a video game however she is the original voice of lara croft uh -huh. and um we, she's telling me she's got a sealed copy of it she's never never opened so you know i have no idea where that conversation's going to go but I'm really looking forward to it. I did. Uh, we will get into the stories in a moment, everyone, but I'm enjoying chatting to Lee. Um, I did Sorry, enjoy I, the, uh, I enjoyed it, the, the Minder episode because it was evident halfway through that this was a game that you had fond memories of, but then it became clear that you never actually really figured out how to play it back in the day. You just kind of poked around in it because you enjoyed it. And your guest What's was that? explaining to you how to actually play the game. Yeah. Scott, um, uh, Scott Balcony, who's a great musician and he's a t-shirt owner, printer and all of these things and yeah i i hadn't played it when i was a kid but i played it before we 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 um recorded the podcast my god it's the most frustrating <laughs> game i've ever played in my life but scott was telling me how he was so obsessed with it that he would get up at like five in the morning put sprinkle cover himself with water so it looked like he was sweating and then go into his mum's room and go mum Mom, I've got a fever. I don't feel well. Oh, you can stay at home today then, Scott. And then he'd spend the day playing Minder. It's stuff like that. The second guest was um, a friend of mine, David Turners, who does the Computer Game Show podcast. That's mm -hmm. what it's called. And he was telling me about how when he had kids, he didn't want to show them giraffes until they were about 12 years old <laughs> and then go and take and show them some giraffes so that they, their minds would be blown. All of this stuff is what it's about <laughs> more than... The mechanics, you know, we're not we're not necessarily dissecting the mechanics of the game. It's nice to get a bit of history. Sometimes it was nice, Neil. You spoke to the gentleman whose name I've forgotten who created oh, Richard Garriott, yes. Lord yeah. British. Lord British. Um, you know, and that was lovely hearing. That what was even more interesting, I think, was about how you got that interview, what it was like building up to the interview for you, what was going on for you. So it's it's more about the personalities than the game. But if one's more about the game, that's that's all cool. You're like a retro counselor. I did feel like I came away having had a nice oh. retro therapy session. It was good. I, I think there might be a niche was, there. Yeah. What I liked at the end was it just faded to black while the two of you kept talking with the implication that <laughs> if there wasn't any time constraints, you would have gone on for hours. That, that's, um, yeah, that's a thing that seems to be evolving is it kind of fades in and fades out so it looks like we're midway. Mm. Um, how did you – right, can I ask a question? And then we'll, we'll do your show. <laughs> how did you find the video? Because I'd set that to unlisted. You put it unlisted? 
Yeah. I just searched for it on YouTube in, in a normal way and it came up because I thought, okay. I wonder if he's published it yet. Oh, he has. I'll, I'll go and share that on the social. That was, um, it's, it's, I mean, yes, Sorry. go and find it. Please look. No, Were you it's, not it's ready a, for us? <laughs> it's, a, it's a Patreon perk to get it early. But oh. Um, oh. No, 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 but if you found he it, that's it. The, uh, th- th- those guys understand. I have very, very Sorry. lovely, small yeah. army of patrons. I just, I'm just curious. You look for it. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, just that's search interesting. for it. There we go. Lovely. Right. I'm sure we have lots more to chat about, Ian. But let's get into the show and our first story. <laughs> so, Ian, I'm going to start our first story by asking you a question yes, that sir. you touched on just a moment ago. A question okay. that you put to me and all your other guests. It's your turn. What is retro? Um. Well. For me in my head, when I think of retro, I go straight back to the computers that were important for me growing up um, when I was 8, 9, 10, you know. So for me, it's Dragon 32, BBC Micro, Spectrums, Commodores. That for me is retro. However, I am doing this podcast. I'm fully aware everybody has different definitions of what, what retro is. And knowing that we might talk about this today, I thought, can I find a point? Is there a line in the sand where I would suggest, you know, current computers or gaming systems um, end and retro begins? And I've thought about it, and here is my answer. Everyone will be different. I think retro ends at the death of the Wii U and the PS3. Oh, very, very definitive line in the sand. It is is very definitive, and... um, for me, that and I was trying to think from my kids' eyes, who are almost 12 and 14, they consider the PS4 modern, PS3 not so much. I think that was a big kind of shift. I don't quite know how those two consoles tally up in terms of year, but that feels like a big leap forward. The Wii U now discontinued. You know, there was a story a couple of weeks ago that they sold one in America last year. They have that on record. Um, the, the, you know, the online is being shut down if it's not shut down already. So for me, going backwards, retro begins uh, PS3 uh, uh, and Wii U. So you're including those in retro? I'm including those in retro, Dave, yes. Yeah, I'm, I, I think that's, that, that's a very reasonable point because the feels, the gate, things feel different using those than they do feel using modern things. Um, we, we've come up with this, we've had these, this discussion a few times in the past, it's a fun discussion to have, and one of the questions we had is PS3 retro, and I think I think most people were happy to say, well, if you think it's retro, it's retro. I think that was the consensus, yeah. 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 Um, so I didn't know if emulation would come up in your answer because that's the topic oh. of our uh, our first story this week. My computer's um, just pinged. I'm so sorry. I don't know, quite know okay. what's going on there. That's, there this we is, go. This is, as we said on your show, this is the level of professionalism <laughs> we expect with you, Ian, <laughs> when your phone went okay. off. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, yeah, you can see why I'm not in broadcasting anymore. Okay, yes. <clears throat> just, uh, I'm going to go off on a complete tangent now because you've just said that traditional broadcasting where you where you've come from yeah. i know you've completely embraced podcasting now not just with random access memories with your other podcast on twitch and everything like yeah. that do you think you'll ever go back into the traditional broadcasting or do you it, think this is the future for you now um i <laughs> I, I i feel like i've completed broadcasting i've done everything i want to do the only thing i haven't done is be in a video game that's the last ambition oh, yeah um I get no pleasure from it. Um, the honest, the honest answer is, how much are you paying? Yeah, because sure. that yeah. that would be if someone came and said, "Here's a big fat check." Yeah. Someone came and said, "Here's do you, here's fifty grand. Go and do Big Brother." Yeah, I'd do it. I got a mortgage. You know, of sure. course, I'd do it. Um, so no, I think I'm I think I'm done. I think I'm done with. Okay, the ju- the, the, the door is slightly ajar. Just just to open enough for a check to slide through. Slip that we're, check we're through. <laughs> and we if anyone listening does want to party. put, yeah, if anyone listening does want to put Ian in their video game, uh, let, let us know because it's been done in the past. There is a this week in retro style uh, space invaders game out there isn't there dave that yep. was done with our, yep. our faces wow. once so uh, yep. there you go <laughs> so the big news in emulation this week is that retro games limited have revealed its their, their uh, roadmap for the next couple of years so these are the guys behind the c64 mini the c64 which was the full-size device the a500 mini um i think that was a vic 20 as well so there has been speculation going around for some time that they're making a full-sized Amiga replica. And this roadmap, which has been released, finally clears some of that up. 
So it describes those earlier releases that we've already got as being phase one. And now we move into phase two, which almost sounds like they planned it all and haven't just made this roadmap up on the spot and decided that we're already halfway down the road. But anyway, here we are. We've got a roadmap. And phase two is where we're heading. And it says there will be a major product update at the end of 2023. So that doesn't leave much time. We should get news soon. A new mini console launch in Q1 of 2024. A new accessory in Q3 of 2024. A new full-sized Amiga console launched in Q4 of 2024. Followed by another full-size console in 2025. Uh, in Q1, and another full-size console in Q4. So we've got three full-size consoles on the way from them, um, as well as another mini. And then they say they'll announce phase three in late 2024. Um, also, caveats, more releases could be added. Release dates could be accelerated. So it's, it's really a, a statement of intent more than a firm roadmap that's set in stone. So a few things stand out for me here. First of all, it describes the full-sized Amiga as being an Amiga console. Um, I don't think we should read too much into this. Dave, you're already smiling at the thought of Amiga console. We'll come to you in a moment. So they don't use the word console to describe any of their devices so far on the website. The A500 Mini is described as a console in its manual. I checked that out. They use the word console. Um, but I think this is just loose language. Um, I don't think we should read too much into that. But there is a chance that the full-sized Amiga could be a console. It could be the CD32. Of course, that existed. Um, they've already made the right style joypad for the CD32 with the A500 Mini that you get with it. So it's a possibility, but surely the stock A500 is where the most nostalgia is, and that's the one they'll go for. I'd be surprised if it's anything but that. Maybe the A600, but we'll wait and see. So the, uh, the full-sized Amiga of some sort is on its way. And what those other devices on the roadmap are, we can only speculate. Could it be an Atari ST? Could it be an Amstrad GX4000? Which, as silly as, you, as it sounds, I think is the perfect shell for the full CPC library. Could it be something like a mini Packard Bell PC? I, I don't know. To be honest, for them, it seems like it's just a case of adapting their little ARM-based board that sits in all of these devices, update the emulator, and put a nice front end on it. So anything is possible really so we'll start with you dave what do you make of the roadmap what future minis and full-size systems do you want to see come out of this i'm delighted they're calling the amiga a console of course you are um it's fairly <laughs> obvious they don't mean a console in terms of not having a keyboard there's no point in making a bigger one of the mini without a keyboard so obviously they just use the wrong word and i'm already noticing people get annoyed about it i love that um <laughs> On the, the Amiga 500, I wonder if that's going to be a door for more things for Amiga fans. Will this be a... If they mass-produce an Amiga 500 shell with a cheap system and a chip emulator inside it, then there's nothing to stop people taking that out, drilling a few holes in the back, and putting a different board in there to run, for example, a mister. Because if the keyboard there is a modern keyboard, you could end up with a USB connection to the mister there, and you could end up with a really nice-looking Amiga running a mister. Neil? And let's remember that unless you got the very early Amigas with the mechanical keyboards, it's not a particularly excellent no. keyboard on an A500, so it shouldn't be difficult to reproduce the feel of that system with a with a cheap yeah. repro. Yeah, yeah. Um, lots of people want the look of the Amiga, uh, and it's not necessarily the case that they want the, the gubbins of the Amiga inside it. So that's an option there. As much as I love the Atari ST, and I obviously prefer it to the Amiga, I'm not sure it's screaming out for it because there was less Atari ST sold than Amigas, and anything that was really good on the Atari ST eventually got a port to the Amiga. So if they've already got a Maxi 500 out there, let's call it a Maxi 500, they've got the Maxi 500 out there and they bring out an Atari ST, it's only really useful for people who want the look of the Atari ST. It's not going to open the door to that many more games that aren't, aren't available. But think of the marketing it would open the door to. Reignite yeah. the ST Amiga Wars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I would buy it, certainly. I would I would love there to be an Atari ST mold, but 
yeah in fact it's 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 better looking than the amiga the the slanted function keys the slants at the back it, the amiga 500 isn't quite as attractive yeah yeah, but, yeah. it's not about the atari dave come on move on um <laughs> a question asked in the subreddit would be if the amiga would be like the new atari 2600 plus and take original discs and that's a thing now all of a sudden a lot of these minis and so on are, are taking original uh, original media uh, because people like the tactile feel of putting in, taking it out. And clearly that's not going to be the case with the Amiga because I'd be stunned if it, if they put a disk drive in there. And on top of, the, top of that, the whole point of the Amiga was that nobody bought originals. But th- there's nothing to stop them coming out with another console mini that do- or console that a full-size console that does take cartridges because that seems to be a real big thing. And the, the GX4000, I'm with you, Neil, because... I, I love my Amstrads. I love my CPC. It looks great. Um, the GX4000 has a unique look to it, but it mm-hmm. does run the CPC game, so that's a good one. Um, but there's not. it doesn't seem as if there's that much left for the minis. They've done all the minis that you would want to do. They've done all the Sega and Nintendo ones. There's um, an X68K coming out. Mm-hmm. Is it time for re-releases? Is that what they're going to do? They're going to release something we've already seen before? Hmm. Ian, you're jumping up and down there. They've done all of the minis. The world is screaming out for the Saturn and Dreamcast, yeah. aren't they? That's, Have you missed those? Those are, the, those are the ones that I would, um, I'd be all over if they brought yeah. a Saturn one out. Oh yeah. man! That yeah, that, that's beautiful. the last two. That's the last two, I guess. Uh, the Saturn and the Dreamcast, um, and even the, they weren't. They weren't. They've got this kind of cult following because of how, how they landed. Um, but yeah, there's there's the, most most things have been done already. May I ask, you, you, um, the Amiga is something that completely went by me. I, I know mm-hmm. very, very little about it. I enjoy hearing people talk about it. Mm-hmm. I know very little. Um, and I'm saying I'd want a, a, a Dreamcast and a Saturn. I have under here a Dreamcast with, uh, is it the GDMU mm-hmm. in it? So it's got pretty much every Dreamcast game you could want. It's there. i just got to plug it in and play it. I never play it. It came... It was exciting. I used it for a day, flicking through it, flicking through it. And now I don't use it. I've got similar with with um, a GameCube. I've got the C64 Maxi, I guess I'm going to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't use it. Some, and, and sometimes I get overwhelmed by the amount of choice these oh, yeah. machines yeah. present. So I go, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the C64 today. I could play, maybe I'll play Bruce. Um, and, and I get so overwhelmed, I just can't decide and don't yeah. touch it. And I'm curious... As to whether you two use your um, use these machines, are they on the wall because they look really, really nice, which is completely valid reason mm. to get them? What What do you do with them? Well, I am I am definitely in agreement with you there. That choice paralysis when you put on it's been there since we had emulators and before we had before I got right into retro and bought all these old things. Even with emulators, they get that great big list of games, and you flick through it. It's it's up on your screen in two seconds, and you're back out ten seconds later. Terrible for it. I I, I like mm-hmm. using old discs, and when I do set up a, a hard drive for my for my ST or for my Amiga or for anything else, I want to install the games one by one manually when I choose to because that right. that big list of games is awful. I yeah. did like though the the C sixty four. Mini and the Amiga Mini had the kind of carousel view, which is a lot better, I think, than the than the list of games, a list of of eight thousand games. It's much better than that. But yeah, that 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 choice, that 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 whole big list of games is a, a thing for a lot of people. I think mm. Neil, it's overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah, and I think we um, <clears throat> I think we when we when we want to dip into retro and use these machines, we, we approach it for two different reasons. One is to discover stuff that we haven't seen before, and the other is just to use it like a big warm blanket to wrap around ourselves and, and get all nostalgic about it. So depends what you're doing. From a museum perspective, I do exactly the same. I have a curated list, Dave, of just a few things. Yeah, because I don't want people to feel overwhelmed when they walk up to the machine i just want them to see sort of the best of the best for that system so they can see what it's capable of but then hidden away we do have the full library so if they say oh, i used to play such and such a game with my dad back in the day then we can dig it out and they can enjoy that as well um yeah so um ian let's get back to these minis do you yes. have any of the minis um and uh, if you don't, or even if you do, what, what ones would you like to see miniaturized? I think you've answered that with the Saturn and the Dreamcast. So yeah, what are your thoughts? definitely. <clears throat> excuse me, definitely the Saturn. I think that is. Um, I've got one, but I don't really have any games for it. And and 
uh, I think that is the kind of the, the black hole of in, in the, the journey of consoles, in the journey of Sega. It's the one that people think is a bit of a joke um, uh, and think it's rubbish. Well, you know, it's problematic, but it's certainly not rubbish. So I would certainly love to see that. Um, I have got the C64, the bigger one, and... It's beautiful, right? I mean, it's so well done. And you're you're right with that carousel. It makes a huge difference. Here's the thing that I go out and do. As soon as it came, I went onto Etsy or whatever and bought a, a USB with 2,000 more games on it. Literally <laughs> 2,000 games. Why did I do that? What is the point of that? And actually saying it out loud, I think for me, part of it is um, just having all of that stuff. There's something... And I... I I was at um, a, a computer event at the, the Cambridge Museum of Computers at the weekend, mm-hmm. and I was talking to um, a guy called Tony, who is, is big in the Dragon 32 community. He helped set up my Dragon. That would be Here there. Be Dragons, is that him? Here Be Dragons, Here be dragons. yeah. Uh, he's been so kind. He fixed my Dragon, did it for free. And I said to him, why do you do this? What do you get out of it? And he said, well, it, it, it satisfies and nurtures that 14-year-old boy. Um, the you know, and and I've been thinking about that a lot, and I think that's partly why I've got the C sixty four Maxi as my term, and why I bought that stick because I really, when I was twelve, I really really wanted one, and we didn't get one. We got a BBC. My parents were weird. Dragon thirty two to a BBC, um, and and so part of getting these things, the Dreamcast was really really important to me for various reasons. It's the f- it's the first machine I ever got free because I was on the telly, right? Here's the thing, when you when you're earning enough money to buy things, people give you things for free. It's wild. And that was significant and I had a lot of great times. So I think for me collecting these machines is nurturing the eight-year-old boy, the 14-year-old boy, the 20-year-old young man, it, it's doing something for them. And I think that's a perfectly valid reason for doing it. The C64, it's, 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 it's kind of on display in the living room. It's a thing of beauty. You know, it's so stunning. It's such a well-designed machine, and they've done a great job with it. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, if there's an Amiga, the full-size one, I'm kind of toying with the – I would probably get one – because I don't know what an Amiga is. I've never played on it. I've never um, seen it. I've seen it running games on YouTube. I've never had a go on it, and I would love to. There's a big gap in my gaming knowledge, and I'd, I'd kind of like to fill it. And these things are stunning. You know, the designers in the 80s and 90s, some of them were wild. They must have been high at some point. I mean, you look at some of those computers, but what beautiful things to Hmm. own and how important are looks do you think for these modern retro devices because you could just get a pie not even put it in a case and have access to tens or hundreds of different systems and all of the games but you're speaking very fondly of just the look of the c64 um, and potentially an amiga maxi is that an important part of the experience I've done the thing with the Odroids and the Pies and all of those things. And I've got, you know, the the Ambernix and all of that. And they're cute. But for me, as I get older, the look of it is becoming more and more significant. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm, I'm pretty much – I dug out my PSP at the weekend because I remembered I had one. And I had great fun – soft modding that i did i thought i'd bricked it um and i just had a really lovely afternoon soft modding that and playing some games on that and, and you can't fit too many games on there and it, it, it's it's what dave was saying about you you can't be overwhelmed by choice on that because you can't fit too many on there um so i i, I it, it's the touching of them isn't it it's it's seeing them and it's that feel you get pushing down a commodore um you know key on a commodore computer <laughs> hearing the bbc burn up all of that mm. stuff, I think, is really, really important in, in, for me in enjoying these machines. Well, one thing I can say in full confidence is uh, a big part of it is for Chris, who isn't with us this week, um, it's the experience of going down to a physical shop and in 2023, 2024, buying a, an Amiga or a Commodore 64 boxed brand new in the shop. I know he loves that and I know he'll be doing that. So look forward to that day. Chris. Um, and then there will be the inevitable scramble of YouTubers who want to be the first to review it and break the news to the world. That's always fun to watch. Um, if you want to check out the the roadmap, in fact, I don't think the roadmap's on their website yet. So the website is retrogames.biz. 
um, or head over to our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where you can uh, see that roadmap and chat with others about that story. This week's show is very kindly sponsored by PCBWay over at Ian. Where's the website? Um, is it at ianlee.com? Oh. <laughs> You can, you, can, you can go to pcbway.com via ianlee.com where you can pay to go and have a Domino's pizza. Other pizzas are available at Ian Lee's house. Oh, for how much? <laughs> for £1,200. <laughs> yeah, I did put that on there. Clearly is a joke, right? I don't want people coming around my house. I, I, I did put that on there. I, I, I did it because I knew I would get so much hate. We do charge in that. What's going to do? It's a joke. Um, I don't think you do get that offer at PCBway though do you well you could you could um eat pizza with ian while browsing pcbway.com <laughs> ian if you were to design some electronics from the ground up who might you consider to manufacture them um i think i would go to a pcbway.com would those be the the team that that like listen you're, you're, you're kind of speaking greek to me now because <laughs> I, I was i was saying to neil i'd love to come on your show but you guys know stuff. I am an enthusiastic amateur with zero knowledge. You lot know stuff. We have great big gaping holes in our knowledge. We all yeah. we, we we do a little bit of preparation before the show. We have great big gaping holes in our knowledge, and we make sure that when we bring up a subject, we've done a little bit of research on it. We're not experts. Yeah, and then the conversation continues yeah. on the subreddit, so that that's nice in a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, PCB way, Dave. If you could describe PCB way in one word, what would it be? I would never do that to them. They do so many things; it would be unfair to describe them in one word. Versatile. There you go. Versatile. Versatile. There you go. PCBWay.com. Thank you it's for supporting the show. Amazing what you can do there. There's so many 3D printing and printed circuit boards and get them all to assemble it for you. It's incredible. A submission that I'm surprised how popular has been is about Code with the Pope, which is a computer literacy initiative supported by Pope Francis. It's to bridge the, I'm quoting here, glaring disparities in education around the world using an online platform, Codephoria, to teach 11 to 15-year-olds from Europe, Africa, and Latin America how to code in Python. How do you know when the co when the Pope is coding? Does he sort of put a certain coloured smoke out of the chimney at the Vatican? <laughs> I tell you how you know because uh, the Pope goes into boots, writes ten print the Pope's skills, twenty go to ten. Then you know it's him. <laughs> the World Economic Forum data released in two thousand and twenty three revealed that the majority of the fastest growing roles are technology related roles. However, a severe global shortage of tech skills threatens to leave. 85 million job positions unfilled by 2030. So this seems a good idea to me. Help get the skills together for the future. But I can't help think about the British Computer Literacy Project, which I'm going to guess affected all three of us, and put Britain in a fairly unique position in terms of micros and games. Back in the 80s, it was felt the UK was falling behind with a similar idea that we needed to catch up to fill these future jobs. The BBC Micro was created for it, and BBC programmes from Chris Searle helped turn the tide. It may not be completely obvious, um, but we do punch above our weight in the, in the UK in terms of technology. Loads of game studios are here, not just the ones you know about, like DMA. There's other ones that aren't necessarily screaming, this is British all the way through the games, but there's loads of games made here. Um, ARM processors, Acorn Research Machines, I think they're, they're now claim the acronym means something else now, but they, they must have the literacy project to, to thank for, at least part of that. But for the three of us who didn't make our money from programming and just enjoyed the games, I think what it did was convince our parents to buy a games machine with a keyboard, thinking it was <laughs> going to lead to our future prosperity. And I think it perhaps explains why we were mostly still using wedge-shaped micros for games at least until the kind of early to mid-90s, while other regions were more commonly using consoles. Ian, what's your BBC Micro Memories? Did you ever code on it, or was it just the games? No, I, I did code on it. Part of it was at school, and part of it was it, it was fun. It was fun. What, what um, people under, let's say, 30 uh, perhaps don't appreciate. The, remember when, when my dad brought the Dragon 32 home? We played games on the TV before with the Binatone. But seeing words that you had typed appear on the screen, and that fascination stayed with me in my teens. I got 
decent at programming computers. I remember I wrote a program, I think this was for a school project maybe, I wrote a program that would convert Fahrenheit to centigrade and, and back and forth. And I was the kid, Saturdays, mum would go shopping in Slough. Every Saturday she goes shopping in Slough, two and a half, three hours, and she would leave me in boots and she would go off, and then two hours later, she'd come back and she'd collect me from Boots, loads of other 10, 11, 12-year-old boys there. And if sometimes the staff in Boots would get really angry and they wouldn't load up any games. So it was just blank computers. So I would write stuff. And I remember, actually, this was in John Menzies. I had this clear memory of standing in John Menzies and writing a quiz. I wrote a quiz on the BBC and it asked you what your name was. I think that's to do with strings, isn't it? A string. Um, and we would ask what your name is. Hey, uh, hey Neil, um, do you want to play a quiz? Yes, okay. And it would have half a dozen questions um, and it would give you a score. Do you want to play again? And I would write this, and I would have been 11, and would step back and watch people playing it and Oh my God, the thrill of seeing someone go, oh, what's this? Oh, he wants to know my name. Oh my God, look, it's just printed my name on the screen. Absolutely loved it. I write a column for Retro Gamer magazine, and I really want to write a column one month that's a listing, that is a full listing. And I just, I can't remember any of it. I cannot remember any of the code. And and when I was, you know, 12, 13, it came to me like that. And I, I, it is, again, it's just like looking at, at, at something written in Mandarin or, or it means nothing to me anymore. I did it and I absolutely loved it. And that sense of, of pride of going, I made that. Um, yeah, I, I, I did used to enjoy it a lot. I, I was just thinking back to, I, I, I know about your love of the BBC Micro, and thinking back to when you did the Thumb Bandits um, series. In episode one of that series, there was a BBC Micro segment. Was that you saying, I've got, I, I, that has to be in episode one, or, or was that just coincidence? How? On earth? I don't know. That was, <laughs> that, was, that was like 23 years ago. I have no recollection of that program, partly because it was so long ago, partly, I didn't get too heavy, I was in active addiction at the time, so I got no uh, idea what was going on. Um, yeah, if there was a BBC there, that would have been, um, that would have been at my request. Thumb Thumb Bandits was a, was a weird show that I was. It replaced Bits, which was awesome, and I would always kind of look down on Thumb Bandits. Except my opinion on that has changed in the last few years because a lot of people come up to me and go, oh, "I really love that. I really love that," and so I don't want to. Um, disrespect their memories of it by going, oh, no, it was rubbish. You know, people love it. Yes, if there was a BBC there, that would have been at my request, definitely. Yeah, Dave, I don't remember having specific coding classes at school. We had BBC Micros, but yeah. and we had Logo, uh, and we did basic programming. But doing Logo was part of a maths lesson. It wasn't a computer lesson. Yeah. Um, we were learning about angles and things like that. Um, and I used to have a friend called JP, and we would beg the teacher to let us stay in at, at um, uh, break time, lunch yeah. break, uh, so that Same. we could use the one BBC micro at the back of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And we would write little uh, choose-your-own-adventure games, text adventures wow. on there, and get the kids back in. There would only be two or three rooms, because that's all the time you'd have to write an adventure game in a lunch break. But, you know, those were my first experiences of coding on the BBC. And it just, as Ian described, it just felt wonderful to feel like you'd created something that you'd given other people enjoyment and you were in control of this machine. You could tell it what to do. Yeah. It's, again, as Ian says, it's, it's really wild and difficult to explain that level of interaction and how new that was to a, to a different generation. Maybe the Pope's initiative will give that same gift to 11 to 15-year-olds because I, I, have, I haven't done a great deal of programming, but just getting the computer to do a few things that that sound stuff you would get to do in the CPC. Neil, I don't remember that we're going boing boing that kind yeah, of sound. Yeah. Just <laughs> just to do little things like that and draw the lines that danced across, all that kind of stuff. It, 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 just getting that to happen from what you type in is magical. Do you think? Uh, do you think the Pope could be replaced by AI, Dave? <laughs> I think Gosh, I'm not going to answer that one. I'm not going to answer that one. Wow. I'm not going to answer that one. In fact, yeah, I'm sure it possibly couldn't be. I'm sure the Pope could not be replaced that by AI. That wasn't aimed at the Pope specifically. There's just been a lot of talk this week about AI. Elon Musk was doing a talk with the, with the UK Prime Minister about yeah. the future of AI and jobs being replaced. If he um, says, well, I think he's probably future. safe. 
if he says there's a future where we don't need to work, I, I, I'll sign up for that, and we can do all the coding <laughs> we want. We can do all the all the podcasts and not have to worry about money. Um, talk about the Pope and, and AI. Uh, did you remember about two or three months ago that picture came out of the Pope in a massive puffer jacket? <laughs> yes, did he? And it, it transpired that was um, you know that was AI. That was a, a computer generated image, and it was spot on. Yeah. So it, it can certainly replace his clothes. Yes. Um, um, listen, <laughs> at some point down the line, we're all out of work because of AI, and we just yeah. need to em- embrace our computer. I'm happy, with that, happy with that. Every that every podcast we produce is just training for the AI to replace us. <laughs> yep. Um, as for my memories, when I saw it at school, it had its own trolley. It was wheeled into the room, <laughs> and it was. We were lucky if we got to press one of the buttons. Well, fifteen of us gathered round this thing, so we didn't get to program it at school. It was a just like Neil said angle 90 degrees right wherever it happens to be for the commands for it um but my mum was a teacher and she borrowed one over the summer and my pal around the corner already had one his dad was a headmaster which makes me wonder now if that was the school's computer that was in the in his house um but i was able to get it get games running it right away elite repton chucky egg and so on amazing games for the bbc and that that was the first computer that i had in my house so it's always special even though we only had it for probably six or seven weeks it's still special to me. You mentioned, sorry to jump in, you mentioned um, three games there. Elite is is one of the greatest games of all yeah. time. But Repton and Chucky Egg, if I have that up and running or if we've been to a retro event with my boys, 12, nearly 12 and 14, they will play Chucky Egg. They will play yeah. Chucky Egg. They will play Repton. For ages I had mm-hmm. Repton on my phone mm-hmm. and the boys would absolutely love to play it. Um, and those games stand the test of time yes. and um, would be interesting to show them how they're written, what they are. It's the, it's made up of numbers and words. That's all it is. Um, but I do know when they were significantly younger, they did have computer programming uh, classes at school and uh, it blew me away <laughs> what they were able to do compared with what I'd done, you know, 35 years ago, the, the, the stuff that they could do with relative ease was amazing. So it, 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 this stuff does happen. Um, I don't want to get all political. I do, I do. you know, we see the computer games industry firing tens of thousands of people. Every week there's a new story. Yeah. This game company has, has got rid of a third of its staff. Blah, blah, blah. So I do kind of wonder where, where, where that's going to go. Um, but I, I think certainly having a knowledge, however basic, of how a computer works yeah. and how the thing that appears on your screen got there I think that is actually quite important. Yeah, we're the we're probably maybe the last generation to have seen what it was like before it was there, and now see what it's like afterwards and been there the whole time. Uh, people that are 10, 15 years younger than us will not have seen that. Particularly people who have grown up when the internet was already there. I mean, how do you explain? <laughs> How do you explain life before the internet to someone? It's just, no, it's in my phone. It's always been in my phone. How do you um, explain the joy of the reveal button on teletext? Free <laughs> internet. <you know? laughs> Sorry, Chris can't be here this week, um, but... Um, I'm sorry we missed last week, but there's an, a message on the Discord. The not the Discord. It was on the. Uh, it was on list. the Discord too, but it was linking yeah. to the to the subreddit. <laughs> I said just a note to say that I, from this is from Tech Media UK. Just a note to say that I really appreciate you guys. Every Monday morning, I have to get up at four a.m. to drive 130 miles to work. At this time of year, it's dark, it's cold, the roads are quiet, it's lonely. Listening to the three of you as I drive keeps me sane and, and prepares me for the week ahead. So thank you. Nice. It's really kind when you send a message that makes a big difference to us. Yeah. Neil? Hands on the wheel, 10 to 2 position, eyes on the road, tech made easy, have a safe drive. <laughs> um, Valkyran Xbox says, the search engine with the little spider logo we were trying to think of in the last episode, that was called Web Crawler. As soon as he mentioned that, yeah, that was the one. So thank you for clearing that up. Um, G7VFY has been spotting retro on the TV, um, which is always a welcome subject in the subreddit. He says an Amstrad PCW, of all things, appears in Loki as he traverses dying timelines in an attempt to find his friends. There you go, an Amstrad, always there when you need it. A very popular suggestion, in fact, the most popular suggestion for the most popular 
entry on the subreddit of the past month is to get Adrian from Adrian's Digital Basement on. I will try and get a hold of him and see if he would like to come on. Always seems like an incredibly friendly guy. So, yeah, I think yeah, he's perfect nice to have him. Yeah. Um, Arm have bought a small stake in Raspberry Pi, which to me is an, a nice kind of circular loop because that's what the Raspberry Pi is made of. And the Arm is the, the Arm are the eventual um, evolution of the, the, the Acorn BBC Micro. Um, and Raspberry Pi was the kind of reinvention of that. So it's a nice little neat little circle there. But who owns ARM, Dave? It's it's not like it's coming home, is it? It's, no, it's, it's not. It owns no. ARM, but it's not coming home no, to the it's UK. Not owned yeah. in, they're not owned in there. And it's Cambridge where they're from. Was it Cambridge? Mm. Um, Atari have bought Digital Eclipse, which is a game studio specialising in remastering and restoring classic games. Now, they pay $20 million for it, not a small amount of money, but nothing like the kind of Acti- Activision levels of acquisitions. But it does show Atari's direction. It does. And in isolation, it's fun. But consider it wasn't long ago we were talking about Atari buying the Atari Age website and forum. So they're really making inroads into uh, the retro community, buying their way into it. Um, How they behave remains to be seen, but it's interesting to see that direction. So far, so far, I'm not able to criticize them. I've got, I have my concerns because it's not not long ago, they were doing cryptocurrency and all sorts of nonsense. So I've got my concerns there, but so far, it's all looking positive. Um, and I would also like to ma- welcome our new patron, Boobly Kahoo. Boobly um, <laughs> Yeah, Boobly Kahoo. Um, thank you for joining up and thank you for that um, name. I-, I, will co- I will comment they have a, a nice MS DOS logo as an avatar, so they're good people. Very nice. And if you'd like to join Boobly Kahoo, head over to patreon.com forward slash this week in retro. So, Dave, you've picked up three stories. Uh, no, two stories this week in Chris's absence. So, uh, yeah. what's our next story about? Take it away. A submission from Dr. Local this week is a very meaty article about Visio Game Legacy. Now, we've touched on this subject before. I'm sure we will again. But I don't think we've gone at it head on. And it's a very long and in-depth article. The strap line is, experts say efforts to preserve gaming's rich history are failing which threatens the industry's long-term health. They say that 4.5% of Commodore 64 games are in commercial circulation today, with the vast majority of the library completely inaccessible. Now, clearly they're not completely inaccessible. I'm sure all of us know how to access them, but the point they make is that only 4.5% of them are legally able to buy. Well, what I learned today is you go to that famous website for homemade Handmade clothes, things like that, Etsy, and you, and you and you buy two and a half thousand games according to, to Ian. That's Etsy is the place for ROMs. Who who knew it? Yeah, no, it's it's up there. It's up there, definitely. Uh, and it says in general, with just thirteen percent of titles released from nineteen sixty to two thousand and nineteen in release. So in other words, you can only go out and pay for and get hold of one in eight of the titles released. Now the article does go on to mention abandonware, which is a word with as again, we said before, has no legal meaning. But to us, it means games that don't appear to have an owner or a place to legally buy. And ethically, I think abandonware is fine. I know the legal stance on that is different, but ethically, I think abandonware is totally fine. And I personally noticed a very healthy thing with abandonware sites. If they know the game is for sale anywhere else, then instead of a download link on the abandonware site, they'll take you to the site. So if you go to look at um, a game that's available on GOG, there'll be a link to GOG where you can buy the game, and it's usually two or three quid. So that's, in my opinion, is great. Now, a lot of the article actually comes from research from VGHF, which is the Video Game History Foundation, and they're trying to argue that the law should be changed. Now, they're talking about US law, and while the US isn't everything, they do tend to set a precedent, so whatever happens in US law tends to go elsewhere. And the problem... Now, this is a quote from Phil Salvador. It says, The problem is that video game history is more than just the bestsellers. If we want to understand and appreciate the history of video games, we need more than a curated list of the games that publisher decide have commercial value. And that's a good point because it's very easy to, to write a list of, I mean, we said Repton, we said Chucky Egg, we said Elite. Excellent. You could write a list of BBC games and the popular ones, and most people would have the same ones on there. But we tend to focus around the top few percent, and there's lots of other games out there. Now, the VGHF say that with most titles being out of print, 
you know who can work in that? Libraries and archives, and they need more tools to get the job done. What we're asking with this report is for the games industry to acknowledge that most classic games are out of print and that the commercial market alone can't solve this. If we want to move this conversation forward, we need to agree on the facts. But the consumer body, the ESA, that's the Entertainment Software Association, disagree. In 2015, they argued that expanding... Sorry, your cat's just walked, walked in the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> you just read out what's been typed, Dave. I do, 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 do. Um, <laughs> in 2015, they argued that expanding access to the archival games collections would hamper the vibrant and growing market for authorised retro or legacy games and consoles. And then in 2021, they said... Organisations that preserve video games, and this is quite a criticism here, despite their repeated references to research and scholarship, simply want to establish an online arcade to the detriment of an important market. That's a very damning statement there. Now, Neil, you run a museum. This must be close to your heart. Yeah, and very timely too. I mean, the, the standout comment there is we need more than a curated list of games that publishers decide have commercial value. Of course we do. Um, I think that's really important uh, to, to look ahead and do that. And it's timely because uh, just yesterday we finished writing the inventory system for the museum so we can do a full inventory of everything. Something I've been banging on about for ages. Well, finally, we've got the software in place. We've got the boxes. We've got the bags. We've got the asset tags. We've rented a separate room to process everything. And we are going to get every single game uh, and everything else. But in the context of this story, every single game archived, photographed. We're not going to capture the game. But we. I am going to make this accessible online so people can browse the inventory of the museum. And uh, people who are looking to preserve software could browse through our inventory and go, I don't know if you know this, but that's a really rare game you've got there. Could you, would you pop it in a tape deck and capture it and send us a copy of mm. a recording? Perfect. And there we go. It's archived. It's saved, assuming the tape is still fine. So I really want to be a part of that. Um, of course, I'm not going to lead that. We're not in a position to do that. But if all museums took the same approach and were able to be a part of that, then there you go. Problem solved, I think. And indeed, just home people with private collections as well could get involved in that. So I think it's really important. Um, uh, is it going to happen? I mean, it's a very idealistic um, way of thinking. It, it's the dream. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Someone needs to lead. Um, what, what's your man up there? Phil Salvador? Phil, that's a good name. That's a strong name. Phil Salvador can be my leader on this topic. Where, where Phil Salvador walks, I will follow and um, provide access to our archive. Yeah. Ian, should should old games be free for all? What do you think about this topic? It, 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 there is no yes or no answer to that, mm. but the answer to that is yes. Um, I, I, I think so. I think to a certain extent. I mean, apparently, if I got this wrong, someone can co correct me. Apparently, the people that own Granny's Garden on the BBC are really, really tight with that gang. Yeah. If they see it anywhere, take it down. Take it down. Now, who is making money out of Granny's Garden at the moment? You know, none of these websites where you can download these games – are going, here's Granny's Garden, it's £10. It, and it's a really odd one. Um, there, there was a, an obscure game on the BBC called Board of the Rings, which is a, an adventure mm. game that's a, a, a pun on Lord of the Rings, right? Well, you're, you're both nodding, which surprised me. I, I was expecting that not many people would remember that game. And the um, boggit. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> this stuff, I think, should be preserved. This stuff, I do think... Oh, it's so tight. It's a four, they're 40 year old, 45 year old games. Yeah, they should be free, I think. Unless someone is, is actively making money out of Board of the Rings, then yeah, they should be available and preserved. That's the argument, isn't it? If somebody is actively making money. And if yeah. you go to the number four, formation.co.uk, you can buy a license for Granny's Garden for the PC or Mac for £15. You can buy a network license for your school for £158. For Granny's Garden. For Granny's Garden. So I'm, I'm literally, I'm speechless. That you sounds think? ridiculous. It's not the old version. Though. This is a this is a modern remake. This is a modern okay. version. So. But do, do you do you think the barrier to people that the thing that makes people go out and buy a C64 Mini to get the games that come with it, 
whatever else. Do you think the barrier to that is the fact that, they, that they're not able to find it online? I don't think so. Well, the people are paying for the convenience. If you go to GOG and download a copy of, of Ultima 7, uh, all packaged up with DOSBox to play on your PC, it's not because you, you, you don't have the the noose to go online and find a copy to download. I, I don't I don't know that having I don't know that the reason people buy them is because they're, 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 they can't find them to download, certainly for the, the really old stuff, at least. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting thing. Uh, um, there is a there is a, a significant part of me that thinks every single game for every single computer should be preserved, even the the absolutely pony ones, even you know the ones that no one they should be preserved. It's not a huge task to do. You can fit it all. You can fit every single game like that on your phone, um, and I do, I do understand why some creators might be a little bit miffed. But you're not you're not going to make money on a 35 year old game unless it's something very very special. And you come back to the same problem of being overwhelmed by choice. If this was done, if if every single game was preserved, then how would you explain to people the significance of the individual games, the the step changes each of them had in um, evolving a genre or a platform or anything like that? Um, mm. So yeah, it does need to be carefully done and curated. I agree, everything should be preserved, but also there should be a curation process so that you can you can see it and then perhaps make a new modern game using that character or that franchise. Sure, fill your boots, go and make new things, but make the old stuff available, I say. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more to the article, including some talk about the differences between older games and modern games that I thought was particularly insightful that I don't feel I've read before. So I, I do think it's worth a read if you fancy it. Um, but yeah, uh, we will come back to this subject, I'm sure, again and again. Time now to wrap up the show with our question of the week. So we'll go with, uh, not last week's, the week before's question of the week, um, where we said, in this week's show, we heard about how Neil was hounded by a BBS user and how Chris's footage of a scary game was somehow corrupted. Do you have a spooky computer story to share? Have you ever been freaked out by a game or any computing experience? Um, Dave, I believe you're going to share the link with um, Ian, or I can do that. Pop that in the chat. Can you see the chat window there, Ian? There's a link to the question the of the window, week. And I have got it and I've dragged it over, yeah. Okay, so um, I'll read the, the first answer. Let's turn off contest mode. It is ended. So I'll read the first answer, which is from um, Christ of YDU. Gosh. Thank you for answering. He says, it was a winter's night, a short time after Half-Life came out. My brother was returning a hammer to the garage when he caught the side of a head crab in the darkness of the kitchen, ready to pounce. As quick as a flash, he was ready to swing the hammer, only to realize it was a chicken that our dad had taken out to defrost for the next day. <laughs> I often think about how he would have explained that one to the old man had he actually smashed the chicken with the hammer. I can see that. You could, you know, a, a, a featherless chicken defrosting on the kitchen side looks kind of like a, you know, a half-life head crab. I can see that. <laughs> but, you know, you're not sat at the computer, so how are you going <laughs> to... Why are you confusing the things? Anyway, Dave, do you want to read the next answer? Yeah, it's from Antiques for Geeks. Having to make good on the promise that a rubber key spectrum would help me with my homework. There we go. Um, using the bundled Password 2 word processor must count as a horror story. Oh, yeah. Nope. Word processing on a rubber keyed spectrum. That's that's a horror story all in itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ian, do you want to read the next answer? It's from Lord Borak 316 and, and lots of love to the 316 family. Playing Aliens, the FPS version, late at night on my Amstrad when I was about six. Gosh, the game at the time scared me anyway with its music and when the alien changed, uh, charged straight at you. But playing in my computer room one night, I heard the door behind me open. I turned, expecting to see one of my brothers being a dick. But then... <laughs> I was not expecting that. But there was nothing there, so continued playing. Playing on eventually lost my squad and turned computer off, swiveled round on my chair to jump a mile into the air because our massive German shepherd, Bruno, <laughs> had been behind me all the time just staring at my back. Are you allowed to say sh my pants yeah, on Yeah, you? you can say that. Duncan what all sorted he, it out. <laughs> what was he doing? And now, oh, you've given me this one because I have to do this. And now I'll, ooh. Oh, very scary. <laughs> well done. <laughs> that was a scary game. 
it was, it was, it, yeah. it was really for, for a, an 8-bit game on, on the CPC it was really atmospheric but did you ever have a dog panting behind you while you were playing it if I did I didn't notice <laughs> <laughs> so this week's question of the week set by Ian it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a quick one what is retro to you do we want to expand on that or is that, that the completeness of the question Dave you happy with that let's leave it open what is retro to you that's and it's, it. it's nice that you've, you say you've asked this two times before. Let's see if people's opinion, genuinely, actually, if people's opinions have changed as we get further yeah. and further. I know at Retro Gamer magazine, it's a big debate. What is retro? When can you start including stuff in the magazine? And I know there are people furious that um, the GameCube is suggested as a retro. The, 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 the PS1 might be considered mm. a retro. Mm. So, uh, yeah, when is it? And if I can add a, a little addendum, has your opinion changed as you've got older? Mm. Fantastic. Well, Ian, thank you so much for joining us on the yeah. show this week. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Um, do check out all the links to Ian's YouTube channel and podcast. All the links will be included by Duncan in the show. Or just notes, Google so, them. Or just Google. Just, just, just Google, Google them. Ian Lee. Um, Can I say thank you so much? This has been such a blast. This is I'm such a big fan. This has been a real thrill for me. So thank you, thank you, thank you for inviting me on. Thank you, Ian. It. It's our, our pleasure. Um, and if you'd like to join the conversation, head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. And we'll see you same time, hopefully, next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agema, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.